Loving Father, we pray that you would give us soft hearts and open eyes, that we would hear your word and believe. We ask this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. The question that we're asking today is, are you confident in the message of the cross? Are you confident in the message of the cross? Um, I'm what you might call a failed church planter. A couple of years out of college, our church grew considerably. It was a really exciting time and it actually it grew so big that we started to think about what to do next. And we decided we were going to start a new congregation in a new suburb uh, where we didn't have a family service and I was going to head up this new plant. I got together a core team, how we prayed and we planned for a year. We launched at Easter time, which I think the Bible must say is compulsory. Uh, and we were off. And as a good Moore College graduate, I knew exactly what to do. I was to pray, and I was to preach the gospel. And that's exactly what I did. There was only one problem. We didn't grow. In fact, the opposite happened. We were losing people. Now, it was often for good reasons. People were moving, people were going to study at college, people were becoming missionaries. There were also some sad reasons that we lost people. But not long after, about two years into this, we started to realise it wasn't really sustainable, both for us and for the mother church that had sent us. They really struggled as well without us there. And so in less than three years, we actually folded back into our mother congregation. And so here I am before you, a failed church planter, what on earth could I have to say? You know, it's always hard, I think, when things don't work out the way you would plan them to in ministry. And I think this is especially so in a church plant because so much of who you are, so much of your identity is tied up in the success of that church plant. There's a, there's a sort of desperateness to it because... On the one hand, you really are just hanging on by a thread. It feels like every week could be your last week. And if, if no one comes this week, we're going to have to pack it up and go home. But then on the other hand, you're expected to have this sort of air of confidence about you to keep everyone going along. And so it's not, you know, this week we might pack it up. It's this week we're going to have revival, guys. Come on, let's keep going. <laughs> It's really, really hard. And, and there can be this, set, this sense of desperateness. <coughs> and I think in that desperateness, it can be very easy to lose confidence in the message of the cross. I'd imagine that most graduates here at Moore, uh, that, come from, that have come out of Moore College, I imagine that the danger is probably not going to be for you that you will abandon the message of the cross altogether, that you will change the gospel message to suit the culture. I, at least I hope that's not going to be the danger for you. It certainly is what we see happening elsewhere in the church today. But I'd be surprised if many of you go down that path. Now, I think the danger for us is not that we abandon the message of the cross, but that we simply downplay it that we downplay it for what we think seems more powerful and more impressive. Maybe you're running a youth group and it's shrinking 
and the church down the road is growing with their youth group. Or maybe you're meeting one-to-one with the women in your church and they seem a lot more impressed with the female speakers that they're listening to online than they do with your Bible study. Or maybe you've been banging your head against the wall trying to engage with a people group that just seems so opposed and hostile and uninterested. And it's at those moments that it can be very tempting to start to look elsewhere. To look elsewhere for power. To look elsewhere for wisdom. You might not say it, you might not even consciously think it, but practically your ministry stops being built on the message of the cross and starts being built on something else. Now, that seems to be the issue with the Corinthians that Paul is addressing here in chapter 1. The message of the cross is being downplayed in favour of the messengers of the cross. What mattered to the Corinthians was not what you preach, but who was preaching. Who was on the preaching roster that week? That would be how they decide whether they would come or not. That would be how they decide whether church was going to grow that week or not. That is what gets church pumping. When the wandering bookseller turns up at the church in Corinth, it's all the books on church leadership that get sold. And all the books on the message of the cross get packed up into the box at the end of the day and brought back home. They'd shifted their confidence from the power and the wisdom of the cross to a human power and a human wisdom that is so often enticing to us. And so what Paul does for them and what he will do for us today is he begins to undermine their confidence. He picks away at their confidence in human wisdom and in human power. And he shows them that actually this human wisdom and human power is no wisdom or power at all. And in the broad scheme of things, it can do nothing. Paul wants them to shift their confidence away from worldly wisdom and worldly power and back on to the message of the cross. And that's what we are hopefully going to do today as well. So two things from our passage. First, God has destroyed the wisdom of the wise. Second, God saves through the foolish message of the cross. God has destroyed the wisdom of the wise. Paul's point is actually really simple at the start here. Essentially, he's saying that worldly power and worldly wisdom doesn't work. For all the excitement, for all the awe that we might have about it, it doesn't work because it doesn't save. So Paul begins by really what can be seen as a summary of this whole section. Verse 18, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Okay, the message of the cross is foolishness. To the world, the message of the cross is utter nonsense. It's rubbish. It is moronic. The world doesn't want a bar of the message of the cross. They have completely rejected it. So why are we still banging on about it? Well, the message of the cross is foolishness. But who is it foolishness for? For those who are perishing. See, for all the wisdom and strength and pride of the world, they're facing destruction. They're like the people in the times of Noah. 
who look at Noah building the ark and think, what a dope, laughing their heads off at him. But what they don't realise is that the flood is coming. See, they think they're wise, but they're not. They're perishing. And so Paul writes, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. What God is doing is destroying their wisdom by showing that it doesn't work. For all their wisdom, for all their strength, they're perishing. Uh, one of my favourite cartoons is an old one by uh, Farside. I'm sure you've seen it before. It's a classic. <laughs> Midvale School for the Gifted. I partly love it because I think it... It accurately sums up most of the faculty here, including, <laughs> including myself, including myself. But I think also it helps to illustrate what Paul is saying. Because for all their wisdom, for all their power, they've actually got the most basic fundamental thing wrong. They've rejected God. They don't know him. They don't know his son. And they've rejected the very thing that can save them as weak, foolish nonsense. And to make this point, Paul looks around, or better, he gets the Corinthian church to look around at their church. So have a look around at each other right now. Where are the wise people? You know, where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? He's saying, look at your church. How many Socrates do you have coming to check out church on Sunday? How many Platos do you have on the morning tea roster? There's not, there's, not many, there's not many teachers of the law filling out the communication card each Sunday, are there? Who's at church today? Oh, it's just Philip, the farmer. It's Melissa, the slave girl. Where are all the wise people? Whether it's the wise Jewish scholar or it's the wise Athenian philosopher, they don't seem to be converted. They don't seem to be turning up at church. They're not buying the message. They're rejecting it. Now, what I find interesting here is that this could actually be a reason for you to give up on the message of the cross, couldn't it? You know, you look at your church, you're not seeing the effect that you're hoping it would have. You're not seeing people coming in, and in particular, you're not seeing the very impressive people coming in. The smart people aren't coming in. The people that the world holds up aren't coming in. And so you think, well, maybe there's something wrong with the message. Maybe the message of the cross is weak. But Paul says that the fact that the wise and powerful are not in church is not proof that the gospel message is weak and dumb. It's proof that the wisdom of the world is weak and dumb. Why? Well, because the gospel is true. Because Jesus did rise from the dead. Because he's taken away our sins. And so for all the wisdom of the wise, where are they? Why haven't they worked it out? Why aren't they saved? Why are they perishing? Do you see the point that Paul's making? If the wisdom of the world is really that impressive, then surely church would be full of wise people. But they're not. And so worldly wisdom can't be that impressive because it doesn't save. 
In fact, it leads to destruction. Uh, coming back to Australia from the UK, we arrived back in November. We've been gone for three years, which is not a very long time, but even in those three years, I think it gives you a little bit of a fresh perspective. You come back with fresh eyes on a place that you've known for so long. And one thing that I've noticed uh, since, since being away is how much in Sydney, even more so than when I was here before, how much in Sydney and, and even beyond in our church circles, we focus on business strategy and management in our churches. Am I wrong here? I feel like we talk about that a lot. Now, I'm not saying that it's not helpful to have a vision statement or to have clear strategic goals or to structure the management of our church in an effective way. They can be all good things. Uh, the church fathers had to wrestle with this. Is what Paul is saying here mean that all philosophy is nonsense and that we should just ignore everything that the world has ever told us? No, well, there's only one truth. And so if they've stumbled on truth, that's okay. Like Clement of Alexandria's image, it's a germ of truth that's fallen on foreign soil. I mean, even Paul was happy to quote Greek poets who spoke truth. The problem is not that we draw on human wisdom when it stumbles on truth. <coughs> the danger is when we place our confidence in human wisdom and human power. It's when we, we actually start to believe that this is what is going to save. That if only I could structure my church in the right way, get the right preacher with the right skills, get the right people on my core team, the right strategy, the right vision casting, if I can get all that in place, then people will be saved. And the message of the cross just gets pushed to the side. Yeah, we'll still have it. But it's downplayed. It's not that important. And into that attitude, Paul says, God has destroyed the wisdom of the wise. It doesn't work. It doesn't save. The only thing that saves is the message of the cross. So stop putting your confidence in anything else. Well, very briefly, the second thing we see is that God saves through the foolish message of the cross. If we're to lose our confidence in the wisdom of the wise, where should we move it to? Move it to the foolish message of the cross. Why? Because that is what saves. And what, what I find really interesting in this passage is how Paul repeats the fact that God has chosen to reveal himself and to save people through the foolish message of the cross. Did you notice that? It's not just that it so happens that this is how people are saved. God has intentionally chosen it. God has intentionally chosen a message that seems utterly ridiculous to people as the means by which people will be saved. And what that means is, is that there is only one way to be saved. It is God's will. There is no other route. There's no other path called worldly wisdom or worldly power that you can get into the kingdom of God. That path leads to destruction. There's only one narrow path. There's only one gate that you can enter in by which you can be saved. It is the message of the cross. It is Christ crucified. And to drive home the point again, Paul again gets them to have a look around at their church. First time he wanted to point out who wasn't there. Now he points out, well, who is here? 
First time he wanted to say, where are the wise? They're not here. Worldly wisdom can't look so good. But now he says, who is here? And I love this because he basically says, you're all a bunch of losers. (laughs) I think it's not a bad exercise to do right now, really. Have a look around. (laughs) Go on. Have a good look. What a bunch of losers you all are. (laughs) Don't get me wrong. You're all very special. love you. Jesus loves you. But I think here at college, we can fall into the trap of thinking that actually we're winners. We're actually a pretty impressive bunch. We know Greek. Some of us even know Hebrew. It's pretty good. But in the world's eyes, we are such a bunch of losers. Now, Jesus says the same thing when he prays to his father in Matthew's gospel. I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. We're not the wise and learned. We're the little children. God chooses losers, and he does it for a reason. God intentionally hides himself from the wise and reveals himself to the weak and dumb, to the losers. Why? To shame the wise, to shame the strong, to show that you can't be saved through human wisdom. You can't be saved through human strength. You can only be saved by God and through his son's death on the cross. It's not because you're smart that you're saved. It's not because you're strong that you're saved. It's because of grace. It's because of God in his mercy and his kindness. He chose you. And so Paul says, therefore it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Boast in Jesus Christ. He is your wisdom. He is your righteousness. He is your holiness. He is your redemption. And none of that can come by any other means but him. Notice Paul doesn't say don't boast. He says you're boasting in the wrong thing. Your confidence is misplaced. Shift that confidence away from worldly wisdom and worldly power and put it where it belongs, in the message of the cross, in Christ. Uh, I think I'm always surprised when I see the message of the cross at work. I shouldn't be, uh, but I am. I wonder if you're the same. It catches me off guard. Uh, And I think that's probably because, sadly, I often don't think it'll work. Uh, When I was in England, I was leading a Life Explored course for our church online during COVID. And there was a lady named Sally, uh, who a friend had invited along. There was only three people on the course. It wasn't very impressive. But at the end of the course, she said to me, you know, I didn't realise I was a sinner. And now I do. I thought, what? (laughs) Really? You actually have responded. You've actually understood. You've heard the gospel. That's amazing. We went on and we did Christianity Explored. She grew and grew. She became a Christian. She was baptised, saved. Now she's evangelising her family. Now, these stories can be few and far between. But they remind us that God is at work through the message of the cross. This is the way that people are saved. 
I think we as Christians are going through a bit of a crisis of confidence at the moment. You know, we're on the back foot. We're living in an increasingly hostile culture. A lot of the things that might make us have, feel, have felt comfortable or safe in the past are going. And here we are, preparing for a lifetime of gospel sowing, and the ground is getting harder. And I think we can become defensive, we can become timid, we can become desperate. And when you're drowning, you reach out for whatever you can grab hold of. And friends, I want us to gain our confidence back in God, in his son, in his message of the cross. Friends, we are not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power to save for all who believe. Let's pray. Loving Father, in the world's eyes, we are foolish and we are weak. Your son is foolish and weak. And your message is foolish and weak. And yet we know that this is true wisdom and true power. Help us to put all of our confidence in Christ, our wisdom. And we ask this in your son's name. Amen. Amen.